What's going on, everybody? Hotep family. I shake to all my people out there. Welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective. Uh, this is the podcast where we give our point of view on controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African Americans. Black history presently lives in us so we can continue to excel into the future. It's one thing to know black history. It's another thing to take advantage of what the people in black history did for you. In the words of Malcolm X, there will come a time where black people will wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves. And we are at that point in time. I'm your host, Martre Baker-Stevens, and to the right of me is Shaquan Battle. I mean, hello. And to the right of him is Jerome Battle. What's up? Uh, we, appreciate, we appreciate all the love we've been getting, all the support we've been getting. Again, uh, if you go to YouTube, type in My Unapologetic Perspective. There is no more Mighty Motivation Network. It's just My Unapologetic Perspective on um, YouTube and on Facebook. Uh, you can go to TikTok, type in Martre underscore S to follow all of the latest clips. Um, some that went viral, uh, one is still going at about 25,000 views right now. And the comments are still rolling in. Uh, but we appreciate all the love and support. We appreciate all the, the good comments, even the bad comments for publicity. Uh, we appreciate it all. Uh, how are y'all? Good. I'm good. Everybody's good. I'm good. Uh, really enjoyed last week episode. Um, that's still some clips I want to put up from last week's episode that, didn't technically go up on social media yet, but uh, some great conversations last week, especially about the sports and the athletes with T. Thank T again for coming through uh, last week. And then you look at what transpired in the media with NIL deal. It was it was ironic. It was, perfect it, was, it was ironic that Nick Saban came out and said what he said uh, about Dion and about um, Jimbo Fisher um, that led into the topic. Also, the the uh, Tennessee State case that's still continuing on. Um, again, HBCUs are still being talked about more, and the application process is going up, and the, peop- the more people are going to go to HBCUs, whether people like it or not. You know what I mean? And not just black people. I'm talking about white people as well are going to continue to go, are going to start going to more HBCUs. Um, and that's, uh, I, I think I had told you uh, privately that, you know, I hope Mikey Williams, he came out and said it, I hope he goes to a, HBCU, but the the thing is, is he bought light to it. Yeah. So that's the most important part. Is he? It got pushed back. He brought light to it. So even if he doesn't go, just him bringing light to it was was enough. I thought it was interesting too that what Nick Saban said also talked kind of gave a segue into what we were talking about when people feel like their privilege is being threatened. Yeah. And Alabama has had that privilege for many many years. And now it's being threatened. Just the irony of it is, is in a lot of sense, it's being threatened because it's equaling yeah. the, the, the playing field. Mm-hmm. It's not giving anybody an advantage. Right. It's taking your advantage away. Yeah. And uh, white America doesn't typically like that. Uh, we're going to jump into a current event topic today. Um, as, as we do on this podcast uh, sometimes um, that we need to be doing more frequently. It's just talking about current events and how that ties into black history. Um, Pops, you came up with the, the article that you wanted to talk about, um, the current event that's going on now. Um, I'll let you, set the, uh, let you set the stage for it, and we'll go from there. Well, before you go, I just want I told Beck last night in private, I'm glad you chose this current event because I didn't know anything about this. 
Yeah, I, I chose this for many reasons, and we'll, we'll get we'll get into depth a little bit more about why this current event uh, struck a nerve with me. But it, it's a group um, of New Orleans residents that uh, filed a a lawsuit um, because they found recently found out that their homes were built on a toxic landfill, and that the government knew about it. And they filed a lawsuit and they won $75.3 million. <laughs> and at the beginning of this, when you hear $75 million, you think great win, right? right. No. Let's put this in real perspective. There's about 5,000 residents in this area. I think it's called Gordon Park and Press, um, Gordon Plaza and Press Park mm-hmm. um, is what the, the area is called. And uh, these residents, there's 5,000 residents in tight, uh, they're titled, they have homes, own ownership. So just to, just so people can understand 5,000 residents, the town of Bedford right now is about 6,500 residents. Mm-hmm. So it's about the size of town of Bedford. Mm-hmm. Don't ask how I know that, but that, that's what it is, right? Um, so a town about the size of, of Bedford, these residents won a $75 million lawsuit, mm-hmm. 5,000 residents. And people, if you know math, yeah, you don't down. break out your calculator real quick. You do the math. If you divided $75 million up, we're going we're gonna to forget about lawyer fees right now. Just look at $75 million divided by uh, amongst 5,000 residents. They're looking at about $15,000 a piece, yeah. right? <laughs> I don't know where in America you can buy a house for $15,000, but let me know because I want to see what it looks like, right? But um, So it's not a lot of money. Yeah. And in most cases, it's not even enough money to pay off a current mortgage, which part of the settlement is they're not going to have to worry about that, right? Which is great. So you don't have to worry about any existing loan for the home. Mm-hmm. Relocating, there is some there is some help in helping them be able to relocate and hopefully purchase another home. But here's the problem. Notice I use the word help. So they're going to, now they go from having freedom of owning their own home to now I need help from the government in order to be able to move on with my life. Yeah. So once again, people who became independent of the system is now becoming once again, dependent on the system. Yeah. The system that we know was not created for them. It was created against them. Mm-hmm. And now they got to rely on that system to get back to where they were before for themselves and for their family. So. Th- that's key because they, they claimed back in the, the late seventies when they when they um, when they advertised this, they wanted this to be for black people. That's right. Right. So they pushed the narrative that they wanted African Americans to move to this specific place because this is the place where they can build for middle class African Americans. The problem is, before nineteen seventy up to nineteen sixty eight, nineteen fifty eight. I'm sorry. This was a just a land dump. That's right. This is a place where they would lay uh, a landfill where they would just dump this toxic waste and all of these other things. And then you clear it out. And then 12 years, 13, 14, 15 years later, you say, this is the area where we want you to live in. This is an opportunity for you. That's right. right. But even with all of that, you, you buy your homes we understand the racial gap between wealthy and uh, white, wealthy and African-Americans in this country. Largely is due to home equity. That's right. Home ownership that we talked about on this pro- podcast previously. 
that Af um, African Americans are were discriminated against and redlining and uh, the urban renewal plan and all of these different type of things to deteriorate their wealth and push them into areas where we call the slums. This was supposed to be a win for black people. It was a black mayor at the time who really pushed for this. This was supposed to be a black win. And you said recently, the problem is this was being discovered back in 1993. That's right. And we're in 2022, right? That's right. So we just see the, the no urgence, right? The non-priority to fix what was already broken. Right. So what you do is you have a system from the ground level that's broken and you build on top of it and you call it progress. Yeah, you, you mentioned two key words. First, let's go back to the word you, you mentioned was equity. So one of the things that when you start talking about um, economical and in this case, we're going to talk about environmental. Um, we wanted environmental equality. What they were trying to give us was environmental equity mm -hmm. a home equity look it up for those that want to know what that means but that's what they thought they were giving us that's not what we want mm -hmm. we're looking for equality not equity equity means money once again this is america telling you that all they really care about is money they really care about you the people they care about money we don't care about the equity we'll, we'll get that you put us on a on an equal playing field we will get the equity, right? But also, this is this is systemic. So you talked about the system, which is important. Yeah. Because the system is geared towards these type of things. They actually have lingo in these zoning, district zonings, in, in, your, lo in your local government offices, all the way up to the federal level, terms like, um, not in my backyard. Um... Terms like path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. These are actual words that are in this legislation that they use for zoning and rezoning. Mm -hmm. And what, so when you talk about, let's just look at path of least resistance. We talked about this on many podcasts before. Another form of segregation is putting black people in a specific area, but they have no control over anything in that, in that, in that mm -hmm. environment whether it be the, the government officials, economical development, financial opportunities, employment, housing. They, they don't own anything. They're not a part of it at all. Mm -hmm. Another form of segregation. So when you have landfills or sanitation companies talking about developing something in your area, putting something in your area, putting a plan in your area, why don't they go to the white neighborhoods? <laughs> They're going to resist. Yeah. They're going to resist. First. Second, they have representation in the government. So they have people that's going and saying, no, you can't bring that here. Right? So where did they go from there? Yeah. You go to the black community. Path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. There's nobody going to these meetings to represent these folks, selling them no. Until the pipeline started. And most people don't even know what a pipeline is. But they started going and, and, and attending these meetings when they started talking about putting pipelines in black neighborhoods. But prior to that, when it came to plants and sanitation and, and all that, mm -mm. we had no voice to say no. There was no resistance. There was no money to, to hire attorneys to fight that. Yeah. When in white neighborhoods, they had all those things. Mm -hmm. So 
when you talk about system, this is systematic, mm-hmm. very systemic in the way that these things is not by chance that you end up with landfills in black communities. It's not by chance that you have more of these sanitation companies in black com- communities versus white. Mm-hmm. It's not by chance. Mm-hmm. They have to have somewhere to dump their trash. They want to dump it in the black communities. Now, for people that think that the communities existed first or second, is irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? It's, and this, again, this is lingo that's in the legislation. Um, the chicken or the egg, what came first? It doesn't matter. It doesn't case. matter. Does because because matter. if it's there first, then you push black people into that area Absolutely. for a reason. If it's there second, do you see it as being uh, degrading? So you put it there put because it we're there. not going to put it anywhere else. So that that doesn't, doesn't matter, matter at all. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So even if you look at that, right? So even from 1993, where they first brought it to their attention, they went instead of relocating these people like they asked them to do back in 1993, they instead takes $12 million, go in there, and they dig three feet of layer and of contaminated dirt and swap that out with non-contaminated dirt. That's right. But that's only 10% of the area, right? So for the area that we're talking about, it's not just that neighborhood specifically, but you're talking about a whole, they call it Cancer Alley, which goes all through uh, New Orleans, up through Baton Rouge, up the Mississippi River, about 85 miles worth of of land, right? And in that 85 miles worth of land, you're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands of plants, um, places that produce these chemical compounds, uh, landfills, all of these toxins that, that are thrown into the air. And you're talking about maybe 50 feet from people's doorstep That's right. to where they're, they're, they're so affected that it causes cancer. And we know who the leading cause of, of cancer is in the United States. We understand just from COVID who was affected most. That's right. You know what I mean? We understand just by from health and, and safety issues who's affected the most. And a lot of these times is because you have these places and it's not just new Orleans. You can look in Detroit. You can look at Chicago. You can look at New Jersey. You can look at, uh, in San Francisco, you can look at all of these places where at one point, five out of five landfills were located in predominantly black areas. Uh, now it's about three to five. And then you're talking about these sewage plants. You talk about all these places that, that release toxins into the area that pollutes the environment predominantly in majority black areas and that's a huge problem and again that's not by coincidence like this is just not us complaining about something because that is not by coincidence right and even you talked about the money lawyers and told them y'all might not ever see a dime of that money that's right you know what i mean even if it's fifteen thousand dollars they're gonna fight that, fight right. that, fight that, and you're never, you're never gonna see a dime. Because there it. was a community that had won a lawsuit previously about thirteen to fourteen million dollars. Mm. That most of the lawyers and the businesses in that area reap the benefits of the lawsuit, not the residents. Yeah, and not black-owned businesses. That that's that's important too. These were just businesses in the area taking advantage of the fact that black people are gonna want this service or product. And they had business, white-owned businesses in these areas that reaped the benefit from these lawsuits, not their actual residents who were suffering from the the toxics of these landfills. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, like you said, it happens in a lot of communities, but there's a lot of other important things that we can associate with the results of this, is that the EPA and the CDC both have said that minorities, mainly Black Americans, 
are more likely to die from pollutants yeah. and toxins yeah. than any other nationality or race mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, and this information has been prevalent and known since the 70s. Right. It's been, sur- it's been surveys done. Five more uh, Black children are five times more likely to have lead poisoning. That, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we know what houses typically have lead paint. Yeah. Right? So, again, I said at the beginning, when you said system, mm-hmm. that's huge. Right. Because this is not an individual. So, when we talk about racism and we talk about prejudice and we talk about discrimination, normally we talk about a person yeah. right? or an organization. We're talking about an entire system. Yeah. Um, that is geared towards, once again, minimizing the value of black people. And most people don't know what, and that's the thing, right? Because we did get one bad comment. Um, and it was talking about the HBCUs, how more black athletes going to go talk about HBCUs, right? And one person commented on YouTube and said that's racist to try to send more black kids to HBCUs. What? But the, the pro- here's the problem, right? I think most people don't understand what the term racism is. That's right. Right? Even black people. Most people right, most people think that racism is just me calling you a nigga. Right? right? Or me doing something to you, uh, discrimination with police brutality, that, that that's just what racism is in a nutshell. That's why we have this podcast, right? Because racism stems from historical concepts, historical policies that still affects us today. And housing is one of the main ones. And we have to be able to understand what true racism is because when you talk about things like this that affects predominantly black areas, that's something that was put into place by white America historically to keep blacks segregated, to keep blacks uh, you know, we, we talked about the Urban Renewal Project that, again, like I said earlier, right, TikTok, our biggest viewer um, video was talking about Black Wall Street. We understand what happened at Black Wall Street. Most people do now that uh, a riot took place, a race riot that was uh, put up on black people. Rosewood, the same thing. But again, like we had the episode, we don't talk about the Durham, North Carolinas. We don't talk about the the Jackson Wards up up here in Richmond. How a lot of them places, even in Roanoke, like Jordan Bell was talking about that happened at uh, um, in Roanoke, is we don't talk about the Herbal Renewal Project, right? Gainesboro. We don't talk about the Herbal Renewal Project. How the zoning, how most of the the highways that came through America went through predominantly black areas or minority areas. These places was to segregate and separate and cause people to move into the slums, right? And when this happens, you create places like this that are built on toxicity because at the time we'll say, hey, look, we're giving you progress. We're giving you these. These are homes for you. But then 20 years pass and you realize that was a fad that as you hoodwinked me. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. What are your thoughts? I'm not making a correlation, but you think what was a month ago, Bedford had a situation that happened at the uh at the water plant. What side of town is that on? Right. That's it's a not, fact. It's not over there near the hospital. It's not on four sixty. What part of town is the water plant at? What side of town is the landfill at? A place where they built built the first black school? That's over right. there on Orange Street. On, it's on the predominantly black side of town. Mm-hmm. 
But, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, we spoke, you had said something earlier, but the EPA sent out a 20 million uh, soil swap. Yeah. They'd rather spend $8 million more to swap the soil than to move people. You're not doing nothing but taking some of the contaminated soil out, putting uncontaminated soil with contaminated soil. Because it said it only removed 10% of it. <laughs> I just want you, how far, how deep down do they bury a body? Six <laughs> feet. They only dug three. <laughs> There's a reason. There's a reason that they, they put a, a body six feet under, right? But you're only going to swap, you're only going to take off three feet and replace that three feet. <laughs> So you think the toxin is never going to come? Well, let's, let me let me go one different direction real quick. The Flint, Michigan water situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are the predominantly affected residents? African Americans. African Americans. And, and let's only we we're not even talk about the cause. Let let's talk about the reaction, the response, mm-hmm. because I think it's important that we understand the systematically how we get to this point. Yeah. But when there's an opportunity to right or wrong. America's slow to react. Yeah. The response further proves the prejudice and discrimination that we continue to talk about. Mm-hmm. That I like to I like to call it environmental racism, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it is. <laughs> um, so the response rate for Flint, Michigan went weeks. Weeks. Yeah. You discussed it for weeks before you did anything. Yeah. You discussed it for weeks. And they can talk about who the president of the United States was at that time. I don't give a shit. Yeah. All right. The local officials had the authority to do whatever it took to fix the problem. Didn't happen. Let's go. Let's go back a little bit further. Let's go Hurricane Katrina. Let's talk about that for a quick sec. Okay, the levees weren't able to withstand a tenth of what it should have been able to withstand. Yeah. For this storm, it was a huge storm, but yet the levees should have been able to withstand the impact. Could not. Okay, it flooded. All right. People who live in that environment understand the risk. It's, it's, it's created below sea level. You understand the risk when you're there, mm-hmm. when you go there. You decide, the French, you can blame them for that. <laughs> I don't know who would have thought of Let's build a city underwater, yeah. whatever. <laughs> but you understand the risk. It's the reaction. So FEMA, federally, a federal, federal agency, is supposed to provide assistance to those affected through a disaster, like in this case, mm-hmm. slow to react. Why? And we can talk about that now that area is 52% uh, white now versus it used to be 67% black. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that now, but at the time it was 67% black. Yeah. And most of those residents that got washed out and had to relocate, relocate. were black. Right. Slow to react. We can talk about Haiti. Slow to react. Yeah, We're not just talking about America now. We're talking about the world. Slow to react. We were quicker to react to Russia invading Ukraine than we was anything regarding black people. Yeah, We're quick to respond to that. But something regarding black people, slow, slow go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, We're going to jump right back in. Um, Going back to the Flint, Michigan situation. Um... (laughs) We know from our mindset in America that if that was to happen in a predominantly white area, that would have been fixed immediately. It would have been more prioritized for it to be fixed. Because again, 
we understand the disparities um, with value, right? And it's not just a race value because one thing you have to understand that when it comes to living in a predominantly black area versus a predominantly white area, the home value is a lot higher in a predominantly white area. So when stuff like Katrina happens, we know who's the priority. That's right. The high valued area. Because the higher value you have in your neighborhood, in your home, the more assistance you'll get and the resources that you get. And you talked about Katrina. We can go back to Hurricane Harvey in Houston as well. Um, we could talk about these things. But even just in Katrina in Houston, we know that the predominantly black areas are on a lower level than the higher white America. So they didn't already, they weren't in a position that even if, because you said it, it, New Orleans was supposed to, should have been able to withstand it. That's right. But we know that those African-American, predominantly African-American areas were going to flood anyway because of lack of resources, because of the, the, the drainage system, system, because all of these areas are where you push black people in. That's right. Whether it's, they talk about it in Chicago that if, if it's hard rainfall in Chicago, we know the areas that's going to be likely to flood, predominantly black areas, because these are the areas that you were that we were pushed in. It's not by this, it's not by uh, not osmosis. That's right, right. It's by design. It's the system. They they understood this already, and you pushed us there. And when that happens, even at the, the after the math of Katrina, a lot of black people had nowhere to go. That's right. You know, because of those lack of resources. If you own the own home. Uh, owned a home and you're in that black neighborhood the insurance company is going to give you the value which is going to be less than it is in those other neighborhoods so we understand how it affects us on a, on a grand scheme of things and then that's that's another thing that you just meant, mentioned is important is that with Katrina a lot of the insurance companies refused to pay the flood insurance because it wasn't associated with the storm itself it was associated with the levees not being able to hold the water. Mm-hmm. So they refused to pay. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like when you look at some of these places, there's less grassland to, to soak up the water. That's right. Again, the, the, the drainage system and the sewer system from the lack of resources, because we know taxpaying money is not going to go down to those neighborhoods first. No. No. So the people who pay taxes as everybody else, we understand the streets is going to get paved on the other side of town. That's we right. understand that the sewer system is going to get fixed on the other side of town. We understand all of these things. So we're going to be the most affected, even if you call it a natural disaster. Yes, it can't be predicted, but the state that we're in is, is, is by grand scale and about a system that we're placed in those areas. Absolutely. Uh, for, but- the, for the people that live in Bedford, let me broaden that for you is when it rains in Bedford, you cannot go to the ball diamond and play basketball for two days. <laughs> no. But you can go to Liberty yeah. Lake 30 minutes after it rains and the court is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some other places. Um, it's a place in Florida. Uh, they call it. Um, they have black snow every October. Because of the burning of, of sugarcane in the predominantly black areas, um, the word that affects again decreasing their property value, 
You know what I'm saying? Not only affects their their air, but it affects their lake, which affects the water, like right. it, like Flint, Michigan. You know, there's a place in South Carolina that's predominantly black that they built a manufacturing uh, James plant there, and they just start dumping all of these compound right. um, compound um, toxins right there in their in their backyard. And, and, and for 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 the people, for the listeners that want to know why black people choose to buy houses in a community where other black people live. I can give you a couple of reasons. One, you accept it, right? So you're moving to a community where people who look like you, uh-huh. right? And you feel comfortable in that environment, For sure. right? Uh, yeah, would, would people of our race love to buy a house in the white neighborhood? Mm-hmm. If they felt like they were going to be accepted, they felt like they could go to work and not have to worry about their houses being vandalized. Uh-huh. If they could feel like they could come home and not get arrested by the cops because the cops didn't know that they lived in this nice house in this white neighborhood. Um, if they felt comfortable and safe, they would do that. But they know they can do that in the black community. But that's only part of it. The other part is, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Bick, is that um, uh, um, Friday, is that the opportunity to be a homeowner does not come easy for most black Americans. No. Right? So when they have these type of communities that they're building, that they're actually targeting black Americans, black Americans to purchase these homes, to become homeowners. And that's how they sell it to you. I like that word better because that seemed like this yeah. This is what it, what it was. And even targeting. if it's targeting, now we got to, now with these cases coming up, now we're thinking, why us? Why you want us there? Exactly. So what they do is they make the opportunity and the, the potential of being a homeowner, which that means is securing the loan. How do I qualify for the loan? So they lower the standards for you to be able to buy this home. So for most people who are not in the finance industry, in order to secure a loan for a home, they look at debt to income ratio to determine whether you can afford the home without putting yourself in stressful situations to be able to afford it. In most cases, when it comes to blacks, one or two things happen. Either they give you the loan knowing you can't afford it, or they lower the standards a little bit, one of the two. So either way, it puts you in a situation that if they lower the standards, it's for a reason. Because mm-hmm. the property that you're buying ain't probably worth the loan that they're giving you. Yeah. But they don't tell you that. They know because usually when you're going to buy a home or you're going to buy a car, it's because you need one. Mm-hmm. It's not because you want another one. It's because you need it. They know that. They take advantage of the fact that you need it and you can't go anywhere else. So for the people that go buy a car and you end up with a, a payment for a $22,000 vehicle and your loan payment is like $600 a month, that's because you either have bad credit or you had no money to put down. Mm-hmm. They're taking advantage of you. Mm-hmm. On a larger scale, that's what they do in the home industry. They take advantage of you. And you end up spending a large portion of your salary to make that monthly payment. Yeah. And then when something big happens, you can't afford to fix it. You can't afford to relocate. In the case of this situation with this toxic landfill, they're stuck. Yeah. And they still got to continue to pay the mortgage because they need somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. They are stuck. This is a systematic way that we talked about before of keeping black people in a specific place in history. And they want us to stay there now and in the future. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to give you a way out. A $75 million lawsuit does not solve this issue. Mm-hmm. As we just said, 5,000 residents, you max out about 15 grand. And 
that's that's just we're just doing the numbers. We know they didn't get the whole seventy five million. Right. We know that. What about the people that lived on the property for twenty plus years? What are they going to yeah. get? You're yeah. getting them fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And I know they talked about prorating it based on how long people have been in the area. You can do all those things. It does not fix the problem that you got people that are ass out that invested in a property that wasn't worth anything and the government knew it before they made those loans. And now they got health problems because of it. Absolutely. So you're seeing, they call it Cancer Alley for a reason. They increased, it's the leading cause of cancer, the leading place in cancer in, in America. Um, they said back, they would see white vapors coming from the ground. You know what yeah. I mean? They they would they would see these things, man. And you can just imagine that your kids are out there playing in dirt. You're planting gardens. You're planting trees. And all of these things is contaminated. And now you have developed these problems, uh, uh, dementia. That's right. All of these type of things based off of, of, of what's going on. And it's not just the... The housing communities. You're talking about the public schools that's that's affected in these areas. Places where they're, they're having asbestos, again, lead poisoning. That's right. All of these are in the schools. What's that? What's that town that um, um, Hank Aaron came from? African Town. That's the name of the, the town. It's called African Town. I think it's in Alabama. But in African Town, they had a um, the biggest industry was a paper factory. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody grows up, they work in a paper factory. But through the years, with the, the, the toxins that that paper factory puts off, puts in the air, puts in the water, in the waterways, um, obviously affects black Americans a lot more than it does white Americans and has attributed to 62 percent of the deaths. In Africa town. Mm-hmm. That's what it um, is. It's in Alabama. Yeah, it's Africa yeah. Town. So you know when I when I so just real quick, I'm going to read something to you. This is it's called environmental justice, right? But I like to call it environmental racism. So environmental justice refers to those cultural norms and values, rules, regulations, behaviors, policies, and decisions to support sustainability, where all people can hold with confidence that their community and natural environment is safe and productive. So for those that want to understand the legal lingo, that's that's your human right, right? That has nothing to do with civil rights. That's your human right, right? Environmental justice is realized when all people can realize their highest potential without interruption by environmental racism or inequity. Environmental justice is supported by decent paying, secure jobs and quality schools and recreation, decent housing, adequate health care, all at an equal rate. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't get that. So when we talk about justice and we talk about equality, we normally talk about treatment. We're not talking about environmental, but environmental is where I live. I've heard somebody say before that environment is where you live, work, play, learn, and pray. Mm-hmm. If we don't get equality there, how are you going to give us equality anywhere else? Mm-hmm. So environmental racism is probably the largest form of racism that we face today. Mm-hmm. Because it includes everything, including education. So this is why this story stuck out to me the most. Is because I think this is where, for the people that think that racism doesn't exist, I think this is where you can look at it and say, well, damn, it does exist. Mm-hmm. Now, we can go all the way back to the 30s, maybe even the 20s, where we talked about how the idea 
of project housing and creating these neighborhoods created a whole different issue called traffic. Because you put blacks in neighborhoods, but the businesses are somewhere else. Yeah. How the hell you think they're gonna get there? Yeah. Because you don't want them living in your neighborhood. They have to live somewhere else, and then they have to get to and from. Right. So you created a whole new problem called traffic, which adds to the pollutants in the air that affects black people disproportionately compared to whites. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't tell me that this is not systemic. So for those that think that a lot of this we're just piling on or we're <laughs> making up or we're connecting dots that don't really connect, do you, I actually do your research. Yeah. This is, you. I couldn't write this script. If I was a writer, I couldn't write this script. This is real. This is happening. And it's happening, as you say, in your neighborhood. You don't have to go to New York. You don't have to go to San Francisco. You don't have to go to Houston. You don't have to go to New Orleans. You can see it happening right now. You can think about Brookville High School. No disrespect to Lynchburg, but let's want to put this in perspective. Brookville High School, predominantly white. Uh-huh. Heritage, EC Glass. No. Predominantly black. How did that happen? Uh-huh. How did that happen? Go, let's go, let's go newer. Let's go, you guys' generation. You look at Cave Springs. Cave Springs were racially mixed for a long period of time. Until they built Hidden Valley. Uh All of a sudden, the zoning, Hidden Valley was mostly white. Cave Springs, mostly black. Uh So this is is not something that somebody's making up. This happens every day. And it happens in your neighborhood. The thing is, when it happens, we have no representation from our communities. There's nobody black on the school boards that's making these decisions. Uh There's nobody black representing the black communities to talk about how this negatively affect those communities. There's nobody representing us. Another form of segregation that we allowed to happen because they gave us Juneteenth Day. Right. Hmm. Right. You talked about representation. I believe that's key um, to segue into um, something else, which is when you look at, we talked about on this podcast about public housing. Um, affordable housing that was that was placed. It, it, it was a project that essentially was a good project in the beginning until the lack of funding and, and the piling on top of each other uh, ultimately led to uh, more poverty and more crime and what we consider the projects or the ghetto today. But when you look at it, right, that's just that's the public sector. But if we look at it from the private sector, most people will say, you know, most people don't want African-Americans moving into the suburbs because the suburbs were created to get away from black people. That's right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So hmm. a lot of people don't want affordable housing in the suburbs. And a lot of people have the power, white communities have the power to say, no, we don't want that here. You know what I mean? Because there has been places that have tried to build public housing or uh, affordable housing in areas to allow minorities or to come in to be able to live in a a safer environment, um, a more um, convenient environment because you want to ultimately live closer to where you work. Uh, you ultimately want to live closer to where you shop, get your uh, get your food and those type of things. But a lot of these people don't want 
African-Americans to move in because there is a misconception about affordable housing that affordable housing, low income housing is for people who are poor or people who don't work or people who uh, get a welfare check when that's not true. Affordable housing, low income housing has a lot to do with people who just make just enough money to be able to cover their everyday basis. And they pay a lot of it to their rent. So, and if you pay a high amount to your rent, that means you don't have the other money to cover the other necessities that you need, especially if you have kids. So if you have a single mother who has two kids and she works a minimum wage job, making seven twenty-five an hour, most of her income is going to go to rent which means she don't have enough money mm-hmm. to be able to take care of two kids, to be able to do all the things that they need to do. That is what low-income housing is, right. that these people work just as hard as you, but just because they don't have the history of the wealth that your family has had from homes that that you had, they don't have equity. They don't have people they can just run to that can loan them $100,000 that they're put into this position to where they're not able to succeed. And that's what affordable housing was going to do because there has been research that says when you put affordable housing in suburbs that the black kids thrive. That's right. Why? Because the parent ain't got to worry about rent. They ain't stressing out the kids. Ain't nobody stressed out. They can be able to live um, stress-free and be able to do everything on an everyday basis and still uh, decrease the wealth gap that's been happening between black and white people here in America due to a lot of home ownership. And when you have that, you're creating a lot of backlash from that uh, privilege that you talk about. Yeah, you know, the, the other thing is, is, is some of this you can blame on the standard of learning, especially in Virginia. There's a lot of things that black students aren't being taught that they need to know. Like credit. Yeah. You know, this should be taught in school, in high school, of how to build your credit. Because obviously, I think one thing that white America has, as you said, they have history. They have a network. So, you know, Johnny wants to go buy a Camaro and he's 18 years old. Johnny has somebody in his family that can co-sign for Johnny, Mm -hmm. right? Malik ain't getting that. Yeah. See, Malik doesn't have somebody in his family that has great credit that can co-sign for Malik to get that car. Not going to happen. So Malik can have a tougher time getting things, but more importantly, even building his credit. Because one of the things you hope that a co-signer will do is to help you build your credit. So black students aren't getting aren't getting that opportunity. One, they're not learning about it. The other thing, one of the biggest lies that the government has ever told is to get people to believe that there's three classes of people, right? Poor, middle class, and rich. Well, if there's only three, most of us know where we are. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in the poor sector, right. right? So, but poor is really... Those folks that we talked about that use the system or or on the system or they in between the system need a little bit of help from the system, but they are working and can't quite get it over. And then you have what they're calling now the working working class. class. Right. And most of us feel like we're in the working class. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I'll say this and I'll, I'll, I'll continue to say it. Most working class people are one disaster away from being poor. That's right. And it can be a medical disaster or COVID. it can be a home issue, right? COVID. COVID, COVID. lose your job. 
right? So you're one disaster away from being in the in the poor class. So for for us, the 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 opportunity becomes less and less for you to get to where you want to be when something bad happens. And it doesn't have to be something that you cause. Mm-hmm. It's just something you have to respond to or deal with. So for us, we have to start getting one back to what we talked about before education. So education goes a long way. And I, I, since we're talking about home ownership, a part of the responsibility for the person that's becoming a homeowner is for you to do your due diligence. Ask the right questions. Don't be quick to accept something just because it sounds good. Do your research. It is incumbent upon you to do your research because at the end of the day, a lot of these loans are secured by the fact of homeowners information. You should have known. And if you didn't know, that's your responsibility. Read the fine print because it says it. Read the fine print before you sign any paperwork to become a homeowner. Mm -hmm. Don't believe that every good thing is really a good thing because it's probably not. And I'm not telling you to be skeptic. I'm just telling you to be smart. Mm -hmm. Just be smart. All right, and that, and that's that's the difference between what we see when we don't have that ownership, right? Because like I talked about with affordable housing, the low income housing, right? So a lot of those private sectors come through the low income housing tax credit program, which is funded by the IRS. The IRS give the state billions of dollars. That billions of dollars go to contractors and investors, and they begin to find places to put these affordable homes for uh, these low-income families, right? The problem is you get more money if you put that into those poverty areas. So like we talked about, that's how you get New York and Chicago that build upward to put these people in these project housing to put to stack them on top of each other, right? right? To keep them from expanding Expanding out, out. right? So when you do that, you keep black people into one area. So when you start to try to put these uh, housing projects, I mean, not the housing, but these affordable homes in the suburbs, they say, no, 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 no. Start spanning out. We don't want you. Yellow Springs, Ohio. Yeah, Dave right. Chappelle. Yeah, they, that's right. They just got killed for that. Yeah, we, we do not want you here because if you, you're you here, your kids got to go to school where our kids go to school. They go to the that's same right. parks that we go to. They may even take some of our jobs. We don't want you here. I see you here. And they have the people, the resources, the, 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 as you said, the representation to say no. So we'll go to my husband. He's the bank manager. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's deny that. You know what I mean? Right. If we don't have any ownership, then that's where we get gentrification. Because if the same thing happened in the black community, when we're going to build this plant here, this landfill here, we ain't got nobody to say, no, you can't do that. As Denzel say, I'll run shit here. Y'all just live here. Don't none of y'all own none of these properties. You don't get to say what we put here. And it goes, that's why they're not going to teach you that in school. And and, Exactly. 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 It's full circle. It's it's systemic. And again, for the people that are are still skeptic, do your research. Mm -hmm. I just ask before you make a comment. Yeah, obviously, this is how we feel. I mean, this podcast is how we feel, but it's based on evidence. Right. You can say it's how we interpret it. Okay. I'm interpreting it from a black man's perspective, 53 um, years old. The, Absolutely. The, yep. Absolutely. Because as Bake was talking about the affordable housing plan, I pulled up the Dave Chappelle Yellow Springs in Ohio situation. That's right. It's there. It's there. It's there. 
And the the other reason why they're not going to teach this in school is because the white kids' parents know this. Yeah. We don't have to teach it because my dad knows it. (laughs) I'll tell you one more thing that when when you start, and and the great thing is this term that I'm using, environmental racism, it's real. It's it's Wikipedia. You you can Google it. It's it's there. Thank you. Benjamin Chavez coined that term. Absolutely. Um, Actually, in the beginning, when it first started with zoning and districting, if you notice that sometimes they deem properties, when you guys were looking for your homes, you probably saw some property that said residential versus business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were, what does that mean? Well, of course, it's related to taxes, the, the amount assessed tax value, um, and then what you pay in taxes for a residential property versus a business property. And so in San Francisco, when the big migration happened and you had Chinese um, migrating to San Francisco, and and they started their own businesses. And what they would do is they would zone areas as residential to prevent them from creating businesses in those areas. And But they allowed the white people to create businesses by just deeming what they consider business versus residential. And once you go business, it's hard to convert back, but it's hard to get an area deemed as, resi- as, as business versus residential. And this was a tactic that they used for many, many years in San Francisco. They ended up going to places like Chicago, New York, Houston, New Orleans, even Florida. Um, And even in Virginia, there's instances in Fredericksburg, Spotsylvania County, where they did the same thing um, after the slave trade, um, that they would not allow anybody that was non-white to have businesses in townships, right? They would deem it, you know, you, you can't do it. This is a residential, you can't do it. They all have business license. Their businesses are now considered business zoning. Yours is not. You can't do it, you know. So no bringing your little table and selling your hats and all that. None of that. Can't do any of that, right? So this is another form of environmental racism that we see today that happens in every city and every state in the United States. I'm just going through my brain every time you, when you brought up Brookville, because when you look at that area specifically, one part of it is Bedford, another part of it is Campbell County, and another part of it is Lynchburg, depending on which direction you which from. direction you're coming from, right? Heritage and Brookville are literally four minutes away from each other. You mean Brook- Heritage and Glass? No, no Heritage and Brookville, Brookville. Uh, right Timberlake. there, oh, yeah, Timberlake Road. Road. You just look at the zoning of that and how the probably most of the funding will go to Brookville because they are considered now Campbell County. That's right. Because of the zoning that happens. That's just that just blows my mind. I, I was, yeah. They would tell you, but Heritage <laughs> got a new school and Brookville doesn't have a new school. It's what they would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they build new prisons every day. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it when you look at all of this in, in retrospect, man, it just shows you the disproportionate way that African Americans are affected um, versus everybody else. You know what I mean? That even if, like, there there was an article that I read that you know, people who have houses in black communities lose over one hundred and fifty billion dollars compared to um, the houses that are in white communities. Because when you buy the house, the equity, the percentage on the equity of that house is more higher, like just two percent higher than it is in a predominantly black neighborhood. Most people don't think 2% is a lot, but over 30 years, you're talking about 
$50,000 to $150,000. Right. So right. just looking at the devalue of your home and how your value doesn't appreciate as much in a black community than it would in a predominantly white area. And that just shows you the, the discrepancy that happens. Another thing that happened in Detroit, 100,000 Detroit residents lost their homes to foreclosures because the city overcharged them in property tax. The city owned up to the to the mistake, but the they still haven't been reimbursed, and it's been five years later. So they owe them six hundred million dollars. But again, like you talked about, a hundred thousand dollars for hundred thousand Detroit residents, six hundred million dollars. You could do the math. You could do the math on how much money that is. You know what I mean? But you're talking about areas that are are just being gentrified to where. These properties are being bought, renovated, and then the people who lived there before cannot afford to live there anymore. And those push those black people to even poorer communities because they can't afford to live there. Business owners, you you build these high enterprise places in these black communities and you drive out the black owned businesses because of the 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 value that's going up into this neighborhood so it's opposite with gentrification and we are back before you get started let me clarify something somebody from dc says not capital act capital hill somebody from dc send me a text i'm like what you talking about and yes i know georgetown is a pwi i know but they got black players So we support the black because you know somebody will be like oh y'all talked about hbcus last week he got a georgetown hoodie Allen Iverson, baby. They got a black coach, Patrick. Ewing. Yeah, Patrick Ewing Jr., the, baby. John Thompson the made George Patrick Ewing, <laughs> following the footsteps of the great John Thompson. Yeah, you uh, want John Thompson the third? No, <laughs> no. Um, so right now, I'm, I'm gonna just I'm gonna call one four flat, and I'm gonna let Dad close on how he feel about the totality of what we talked about and the importance of it. Uh, you got the full ISO. You got the, you got the James Harden. <laughs> you said yesterday, you don't know why they shoot threes at the end of the game. Here we go. Get right. to the basket. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to keep it calm. Cause I, I, I want to read something. Um, I, I read a little while ago about what environmental equality should be, right? Environmental rate racism refers to the, institutional rules, regulation, policies, or government and or corporate decisions that deliberately target certain communities for locally undesirable land usage and lax enforcement of zoning and environmental laws, resulting in communities being disproportionately exposed to toxic and hazardous waste based upon race. Environmental racism is caused by several factors, including intentional neglect, the alleged need for receptacle for pollutants in urban areas, and a lack of institutional power and low land values of people of color. It's well-documented fact that communities of color and low-income communities are disproportionately impacted by polluting industries, and very specifically, hazardous waste facilities and lacks regulation for these industries. This is, I didn't write this, you know? This is something that every college institution in America is teaching 
for environmentalists and environmental justice. This exists. So for those that want to continue to ignore it, I actually just do your research because this is probably, and there's a lot of forms of racism and discrimination that we've talked about in this podcast. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, this is the one that impacts all of those other ones is because as we said before, if it's where I live, where I play, where I pray, where I go to school, then this affects every other form of discrimination that could possibly exist. Mm -hmm. Right. So until we start taking a hard look at environmental racism, we have never overcome racism. Mm -hmm. So you can talk about calling people the N word all you want to. Cool. Doesn't fix this. I don't care if you don't call me an N word. If you're going to sell me a house in the toxic on a toxic landfill, I'm still a nigga. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You're still treating me. You're just not calling me that. You're still treating me as such. You're lowering my value by saying it's okay for them, them to live in that environment. Also, the fact that we still continue to have no representation. They will lead you to believe that the Revolutionary War was fought for taxation without representation, which we know that's true. Mm -hmm. We know that's not true. Mm -hmm. It was fought to keep slavery. You're still doing environmentally, enslaving us, segregating us, lowering our value, telling us that we're less of a human being and we're not American. And we buy it because you're selling it to us. So for black America, I think that we need to wake up. We talk about the woke generation. Well, just knowing your heritage is not enough. Mm -hmm. Just knowing black history is not enough. It's incumbent upon you to take what you know, as we talked in the podcast last week, and get a get a return for your value. So understanding your value and then getting a return on your value. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do. And in order to do that, we think that you have to educate yourselves, not just on black history, but on everything that exists, why it exists, and where it exists, and how do you fix it. Mm -hmm. Real solutions. That's what we need. Absolutely. We love y'all. Peace.